what's the ultimate secret to unlocking your financial future through investments? How do we deal with discrimination in housing? We're here with Devel Morrison, who is going to share all of her intel. for having me, Lee. This is awesome. Well, you are awesome. Oh, and thank you. I'm really appreciative of you joining me today because you bring so much to the table. I love our conversations. You are always so on point. Thank you. And you are someone who, you know, look at things in such a practical, pragmatic way with context. Right. I think that's really important. Cool. Right? No, that's good. So where do you want to start? Uh, it's funny because every time we chat, we usually chat about politics. I know we do talk about politics. <laughs> and it's so funny because I was like, you know, yeah, we're going to talk about real estate. But then I was just thinking about the conversation that we just had here yes. um, at work where, you know, our colleague was, she didn't really want to be upset about the mansion tax, as we yes. call it. Yes, yes. The um, because tax. it fa affects, you know, people with homes over $3 million. And she was kind of like, cry me a river. I don't care about those people. Yes. Um, but what was interesting was then when I pointed out that they're also talking about making a new sales tax in Toronto, and I was telling her that that will affect her, all of a sudden she's like, what? Yes. So, I mean, I guess I think it's interesting with politics. People don't get interested until it affects them personally. It's always the way, yeah, right? Like, how does this impact me and yeah. why should I care? Oh, you want to tax someone else? Great. Yeah. But you want to tax me? Wait, what are you talking about, right? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I love our conversations always because we do really have great, um, you know, Converse, conversation will go tete a tete and we just go like, what about this? What about this? Where we're really kind of like, how does this impact other people? Like, yeah. And and do a 360 on all of um, the potential repercussions, mm -hmm. right? Or exactly. like, well, what does that lead to? And I always think about that in terms of like, let's follow the breadcrumbs. So I uh, do a, a weekly radio show yeah. on AM 640 every yes. Saturday morning at 730. And, you know, we Watch talk it. about, listen to it <laughs> and we, and we talk about different ideas that different politicians come up with. So yeah. we were talking about the mayoral debates and things that people were saying. And, you know, I always say to the host on AM 640, I said, okay, so let's follow the breadcrumbs. If someone says this, where does that lead us? And so, you know, again, if we look at, let's say, let's look at the sales tax that might yes. come up and hopefully it doesn't, but I think that's going to, if you follow the breadcrumbs, that's going to make a lot of people want to leave Toronto. Because they're going to say, you know what, I don't want to pay this money. And I think what's really interesting with the pandemic is it's basically taught people that they can work from home and work anywhere. Yes. You know, I was doing for my podcast, I was interviewing a guy who he was working in a Toyota plant in Cambridge when the pandemic hit. And because of the pandemic, he had to stop, sit and think and spend time with his family. And he just had this awakening moment where he decided to just change everything in his life. Okay. And he decided to go down to the Dominican Republic and he became a real estate agent down in the Dominican. And now he says, you know, he can contact his wife and they just meet for lunch and it's beautiful. So, you know, if we talk about the sales tax that might may or may not happen, we don't know. I mean, council has approved it. It now needs to go to Doug Ford for him to approve or not approve of Toronto to yeah. have this additional sales tax. So, you know, that's going to affect people. That's going to affect people's bottom line. And, you know, people are willing to change their lives at this point because we've gone through something like the pandemic. So if you have the sales tax, 
you start to drive more and more people out of Toronto, people who realize they can work from anywhere. Yeah. Um, I was recently doing my own podcast interview and I was interviewing this guy who had worked in a Toyota plant in Cambridge during the pandemic. Pandemic happens, everything stops. He's sent home. And now all of a sudden he's spending time with his wife, he's spending time with his son, and he's just sort of realizing that there's a whole other life because he really wasn't seeing them that often because he said he was working six, seven days a week at the plant. And so he basically decides to completely change his life and they went to the Dominican Republic. He's now a real estate agent in the Dominican Republic. And he said he loves being able to call his wife to say, hey, just meet me for lunch down the road. And they get to do that. And those are things that they couldn't do before. And I just think that there's so many people who have changed their lives yeah. because of the pandemic. And I know that there's a lot of negativity out there about the lockdowns, but I think it gave people pause. It gave it gave everybody this time to think and rethink about what are you doing with your life? Where are you spending your time? And of course, right after, not even right after the pandemic, but all of a sudden we saw real estate sales do this. Yes. Because everybody now needed place to work from home. They needed time to, needed a place for their kids to work from home and go to school from home. Everyone now wants to work out from home. So I think it's really changed real estate even for that matter, because now you've got people looking for more space. You know, we never used to stage people's homes, condos or houses with a desk so they could work from home. Yeah. And now everything is staged with, and with the idea of this is where you can work. I mean, I remember showing houses before the pandemic and I would say to people, oh, you can have your desk here. And people would be like, I don't need that. I'm going to work from the office. Yeah. And now it's like an automatic thing that you have to illustrate to your clients. Where are you going to put your desk? Yeah. Where can you work from? And so I think that that's a really interesting shift with real estate now that it's about where can you work from home? And I own a number of vacation rentals as well, too. And it's even impacted the vacation rental business. I threw a, I run a, an association in Prince Edward County for people who own Airbnb rentals. Yeah. And we ran a conference last year and we had the representative from Airbnb come and speak at the conference. And she's going through the stats of what they're seeing that's different, that's shifting. And of course, one of the things she's seeing is everybody is going on vacation for whatever, two, three days, but they're making their vacation a little bit longer and there better be a desk there because they need to work from there while they're on vacation. So it's a real interesting shift um, that I've seen with this whole workspace needs to be on their vacation and it needs to be in their home. And another example, um, my friends and I, we bought a place in Barbados a couple of years ago and I literally just had one of the guests email to say, how strong is your Wi-Fi? I'm going to need to work from there. And I had to assure them, don't worry about it. My colleague and I, we both did Zoom calls while we were down there, yeah. while we were working. You know, Wi-Fi is perfect. But yeah, it's a, a huge, whole, huge change. No, and I think that's a really um, valid and important point because contextually the world has changed and we have to change with it. Mm -hmm. um, you have, you know, you've just like mentioned, you know, the properties that you investment properties you own in Prince Edward County, as well as in Barbados and how that has shifted the way you market your property and, and the amenities that need to be a part of it, right? Like strong Wi-Fi, high speed, right? Yeah. Like, um, here's a here's an extra monitor so that you can just plug and play. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think a part of this conversation, I know a lot of people are going to be interested in is how do I like, create a future that I want. 
Yeah. Right. And I know that you have always been a part of you be joining real estate was your investment lens and hat that you would wear. And you've grown that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, before I became an agent, I've been an agent now for about 11 years, but before I was an agent, I was buying investment properties and renting them out. It's just sort of that aha moment where you realize I don't have a pension and how am I going to pay for my retirement? And I remember in 2008 when the stock market crashed and I thought to myself, could you imagine being 80 or 90 right now? And all of a sudden, you know, all of your net worth crashes simply because the stock market went down. Yeah. And I just thought that's not good. Need to have a better plan than that. And that's when I thought I need to really double down on the real estate investing simply because that way, at least when I'm 70 or 80, sell off a property. Yeah. I've got rental income coming in, or if I don't feel like being a landlord anymore, at least I've got properties to sell, but it just gives me options. And I think that that's what you want as you grow old, you want options. You want to be able to, great, if I've got a rental income, perfect, or maybe I don't want to be bothered and I can sell it and have that cash in my pocket. So, you know, now my new, I guess my new lens about the whole retiring thing, which is one of the reasons why I bought the place in Barbados is I like the idea and I should say I'm buying them with friends simply because I don't have an unlimited pocketbook. Yeah. And so this way it makes it more affordable because I can buy properties with friends. And so my new thinking is great. While I'm a little bit younger, buy the properties with the friends now, the properties make money. And by the time I'm ready to to retire 20 years from now, the properties are fully paid off and they earn their own income. So now when I retire, I can go spend a month in Barbados. I could maybe spend, spend a month in Prince Edward County. I can hang out in Toronto. So now I'm actually just thinking, okay, what other places do you want to live? Yeah. Do I want to live so I can spend a month in Barbados? Maybe I'm spending a month in France. I don't know where that is, you know, where I'm going to go. But the idea is like, great, could have all these properties that literally earn their own income while I'm retired and I have a great place to visit and I've got friends to hang out with while I do it because we've bought this place together, which I think is great because then you ensure that your retirement, you're not going to be by yourself. You're going to have people to hang out with. Well, I love that lens. And I also really appreciate that because for me also, that's how I got into investment, right? Um, my parents were are immigrants and did not have jobs that gave defined pensions. And I was like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, and in my experience as a realtor, many people who are landlords are not corporations. Mm-hmm. They're people who... This is my first place. I got married. And so we're going to keep this, you know, and that becomes their future investment. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. And so I think that's something that's really important. And I love how you have taken it to the next level of, okay, now I've got the investment property mortgage is being paid. Where would I want to spend my time? Yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, So I love that, like as the next level. And I would love to ask you like, how does one get started? I think a lot of people might be interested, like, oh my goodness, interest rates. We all know interest rates are very high right now. Yes, they are. And people who are paying rent are probably paying such a high number in rent that they might not be able to save as much. But you've actually kind of given us a little bit of a breadcrumb of work with someone. Yeah, Like like a a friend or something that you trust. Absolutely. I mean, it's funny because now I've been meeting with a couple of clients who who do have some money saved, they want to become investors. And so they're saying to me, okay, well, can I continue renting? And then can I buy a condo and rent it out? And I'm like, you could, but it's not going to cash flow positive. So, you know, after all their expenses, their mortgage, 
their property taxes, by the time whatever rent they make, they'll probably be underwater at least $500 or $700 a month. So, and then they're still paying their rent on top of it. So I've said to a couple of clients, how about this? Why don't you buy a house that has rental income within it? So get a house at the basement apartment or buy that duplex so that you've got two floors Mm -hmm. and the renter's got two floors. And that's a great place to start because that's basically how I started thinking of how can I start when I first started? I thought, you know what? I need rental income. I mean, the fact that my basement apartment now almost pays for my mortgage in my house is phenomenal. And that's just simply because basement rents have gone like this. I mean, it's, it's insane out there. Um, and I'm very lucky that I bought my house 15 years ago. And so I understand that people out there who, you know, don't have that advantage are, you know, upset about that. But I do think that you really do buy with a friend, buy that duplex so that you've got two units and sorry, one unit to live in and they've got another unit to live in. Just because you're going to buy with someone doesn't mean that you actually have to live together. Right. It's thinking outside of the box yeah. of what makes your lifestyle work. Exactly. And have that space so that way you can build up some equity for the next property. So I think it's about thinking about starting small first or, you know, maybe you're renting out a room in your house or your condo. Um, if you really don't have any capital, but that's just sort of the way to start earning more money. You kind of got to use what you've got really. Yeah, no. And, and I mean, even one of our colleagues, Anya, who pointed out about the, uh, someone trying to rent a closet out for $900, right? I mean, this is a conundrum. This is certainly something that is concerning for people who are on the tenant side of how do we survive and how do we make things work, but it's do the best that you can. Mm-hmm to pair up with Mm -hmm. a friend, you know, and, and figure out how do we maximize our dollars as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So tell, you know, like everything that you say is, is really accurate and and on point right now in this time period, do you think, um, what are some of the challenges that you see? Um, I would say that, uh, people hate each other. Okay. Yeah. Honestly, I would say that humanity has really lost something. People don't care about one another. And I think that that's a huge problem. So just on a micro level, I'll have people who block my driveway with their car Yeah. because they need to run out and get a cookie. Mm. And so when I come out of my house and I question them as to why they're blocking the driveway, you know, they're sort of yelling at me like I'm in the wrong. And I'm like, all you needed to do is literally move your car up a few feet. Yeah. And you would not be blocking my driveway. Yeah. You'd still be parked illegally, yeah. but you wouldn't be blocking my driveway. But they don't care. Yeah. And it's not just them. I just feel like in general, we sort of lost our sense of caring about other people, yeah. you know, and kind of giving a shit about what somebody else is going through in their lives. Right. And just kind of looking over your back saying, hey, you know what? If I do this, it's going to make life harder for somebody else. But if I do this, I can still get what I need. And I have not made life harder for somebody else. And so how do we, how do we support that of being a little bit more kinder? Well, I think we have to, we got to start with yourself, right? Yeah. That's how it all starts, right? It's if you want change, you got to start within and be nicer to the people around you. um, So that hopefully they, whatever stranger you helped out feels good about it, helping out the next stranger. So I think that's how we start off. But yeah, I just feel like we, we've sort of lost our, our humanity that way. And, you know, it's interesting to me. So in the black community in Toronto, if you walk down a street and you see somebody else who's black, you sort of nod, you smile at each other, you nod, you know, and it's just sort of a way of saying, hey, I see you. Yeah. And, you know, we almost, and if you go to a small town, 
you get that regardless of what you look like. Yeah. And it's almost like we need to take Toronto and turn it into the tiniest small town, you know, and have everybody just walk by each other, look at each other in the eyes and be like, hi, hey, I see you. Good morning. You know, yeah. how are you? And, you know, there's different pockets of that in the city. So I'm a runner. I run on the Beltline. So if you run on the Beltline in the morning, all the runners are like, morning, morning. Yeah. You don't say good morning to the dog walkers or the walkers. How you only say morning to the runners. Okay. That's your people. <laughs> We're runners, right? So it is kind of funny that there are these little groups, but if we could turn those little groups into something bigger across the city and everybody could look at each other and be yeah. like, Hey, I see you. Yeah. Cause that's really what it's about. We have to see each other. Well, you know, I, I really think that's interesting that you you point that out because you and I have worked together mm -hmm. for Ontario Real Estate Association's first presidential advisory group, of which you were the chair, yes. about diversity and inclusion because we recognize that there are challenges in housing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think the work that we were doing there trying to tackle how do we deal with discrimination? How do we deal with unconscious bias and those things and really setting up a stage to have a conversation that says like, it's not acceptable to discriminate. Right. You know, um, I'm going to turn over to you in terms of your thoughts about the work that we did there. Yeah. I mean, the work that we did there is great, but I mean, it's really interesting to see how difficult the work is. It's not like a, Hey, let's, yeah. you know, you know, snap our fingers and the problem is gone. Yeah. It is a, okay, do the research, figure out what people think. And then you've got to figure out how do you solve it, right? So let's talk about discrimination in the rental market yeah. because that's something that's huge. You know, there's a whole Facebook group called Renting While Black. Um, and it's just basically black people saying, yep, I, you know, had my great credit score. I've got my great job. Uh, I'm making tons of money and I still can't get a decent rental in Toronto. And so this is a legitimate thing. And so we look at, okay, so why is that happening? Mm -hmm. And so then we have to go back to, okay, we've got these very restrictive landlord tenant board rules. Yes. And so we've got to reopen that residential tenancies act Yes. Um, and work with the landlord tenant board to make it a lot more fair for landlords. Because if you make it more fair for landlords, they won't discriminate as much. I agree. And so, you know, it's too easy to sit around and point the finger, ah, oh, these landlords are bad. They, they're, they're all discriminatory. But the challenge is the reason why they're being that way is because the Residential Tenancies Act is so strict that if they need to kick out a tenant, it's so difficult for them. Mm -hmm. So it really forces them to be very, very particular and racist, quite frankly, when it comes to looking out for tenants out there. So, you know, some of the solutions that we chatted with on that committee, you know, are complex. You know, how do you open up the Residential Tenancies Act? Mm -hmm. Sure, you lobby the provincial government but they're not going to get votes by doing that. Yeah. And so therefore they won't do it, no. you know? And then that's a whole other issue with politicians. You know, they're only there for four years and they only care about something that they can change in that four years. Mm -hmm. They don't care about anything long-term, yeah. unfortunately, right? If they did, the Eglinton LRT wouldn't be where it is right now. Right. Sorry for that segue. <laughs> well, that's a real thing, right? Like a lot of people have their lives upset. Businesses have gone under yes. because this thing that was supposed to take four years has taken 10 mm -hmm. plus. I don't know how long it'll take, but it's been a huge burden on the people who live in the communities and has impacted traffic flow. Yes. Uh, life 
you know, people's like businesses and right. So. Absolutely. Like there's businesses who've had to move. There's businesses that have had to close down. Yeah. Um, and we don't even know when this Eglinton LRT is going to get built. And, you know, I, I think it's really sad that, you know, in that overall picture, okay, you ruined, not ruined, but I, I do live at Young and Eglinton. So I am biased about this, but you know, Every time I go to Young and Eglinton across the street, I have to figure out which way am I crossing the street this time because they keep moving the barricades with yeah. the construction, right? Yeah. It's annoying. Uh, I think, believe last time I heard there was something like 260 deficiencies when they came mm-hmm. up with, you know, why isn't this Eglinton LRT running yet? Yet, with all of that going on, they still decided to shut down, you know, Queen Street for um, subway construction. And I say to myself, I can't be the only person that thinks, don't screw up another part of the city until you finish with one section. You know, finish the Eglinton LRT first before you move on to another part of the city. So, you know, it's amazing to me that they just don't see that. I'm like, it's so obvious. That's what most normal people would do with their work. You finish with one project first, get that done. It should be an all hands on deck to make it work before you move on to the next one. Instead, you know, the city is shut down in various streets, which is super annoying. Anyways, I digress. We were talking about DEI. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, one of the other things I was going to say about um, DEI and diversity, equity, inclusion is that it's always out there. So for example, I'm on Instagram and I'm scrolling through and I see a video that some um, top agent at one of the, you know, central Toronto brokerages has posted. And it's basically a video for a cottage in Muskoka. But as I listen to the words of the song that he selected, it's and this and that and this and that. And I'm like, what are you doing? And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to say something. And so I went on to his his, uh, Instagram and I commented and I said, you know, I'm not sure why listening to the N-word multiple times is a good way to sell a cottage in Muskoka. I basically was like, I think you've made a really bad business decision. And so then I thought to myself, you know what, Devel? He might not see that comment. Why don't you email him? So I went and Google. He's a big agent. I know he's findable. I went and I sent him a direct email to say my displeasure about using the N-word multiple times. Crickets. What I have noticed is that I'm getting a lot of people liking the comment that I made on the Instagram. And so I'm like, okay, that's good that other people notice. Right. You know, I've had a couple detractors, one person saying, oh, you should blame Tupac for that. And I'm like, yeah, we live in this universe where we have so much music to choose from. Yeah. You could choose another song. There's a million other songs to listen to that can also sell a Muskoka cottage that do not use the N-word. Yeah. Call me crazy. You know, so I had a commentary like that. Um, but for the most part, people have been supportive in terms of liking what I said, because it's like, what are we doing? Yeah. You know? And I, I always appreciate that, you know, like in the work that we have always, that we have done together, it's about noticing it, speaking up. Yeah. Right. Because that's really important and acknowledging it Mm -hmm. and saying, okay, let's change that. Right. And it's the desire and will of, of people. And Mm -hmm. we have to you know, I think we each have an accountability. Mm -hmm. And I think even back to your comment about like people need to care a little bit about their neighbors Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it all comes full circle. Yeah, And it comes back to like, even when we talk about the work that we were doing um, on DEI, 
it's complex work because it's going to take a long time for Mm -hmm. people to have the courage to say, okay, hey, sorry, I'm going to change that. Yeah. Let me shift it up. Absolutely. And it's actually a disservice to their client, right? Because it's not, it's not the kind of positive press that you want. And it's just showing someone who's out of touch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. For sure. I'm Definitely. glad. I appreciate that you, you said that. And I, I can always count on you to always be like, mm, I'm going to say the thing that's difficult here. Yeah. You know? And I think it's that uh, you've got to become comfortable with the uncomfortableness of this, yeah. right? Because I think what people don't realize is that talking about racism is uncomfortable. Yes. And it's uncomfortable for everybody. It doesn't yeah. matter what you look like. Yeah. You find it an uncomfortable conversation to have. Yeah. And that's okay that we're all uncomfortable. Yeah. But the idea is like, let's get comfortable with yeah. the fact that we're all uncomfortable talking yeah. about it and just, just talk about it anyways, yeah. because it's something that needs to be said. Yeah, no, and And I think that is the work that we all have to do as, you know, as, as realtors, as clients, as, as people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Um, okay. Let's, let's, let's take this back to, um, investments. Yeah. Uh, with regards to getting started where, you know, when you have worked with, with friends and like, how do you, like, where do you even start? Right. Because people are really concerned with how do you find a good match? How do you protect sort of like your assets? Mm -hmm, Right. And, mm -hmm. and, and the things that you need to think about, what are some of those things? Well, I mean, I think it's really, you really need to know your friends and know the people that you are working with because, you know, some personalities do not gel well when it comes to co-owning a property. And you really do need to think, okay, who am I working with? Is this actually going to work? So you've got to choose and pick and choose and be smart enough to pick and choose, you know, who are those people because you really don't know how it's going to pan out. Um, So that's number one. But number two, it's also about um, actually, no, and backtrack. It's also about what did that friend bring to the table? Right. So, you know, in my case, in your case as well, you know, we are self-employed. Yes. And so we don't have a T4. And when you go to a bank to get a mortgage, they love a T4. They love salaried people. They do not love self-employed people. So part of it is me knowing, okay, I'm great at selecting properties and finding those, but I'm self-employed. Let me partner up with some other people who are actually salaried because then the bank will like our, you know, what we have to offer much better. As a package. Yeah. As a package, then they will like me alone. So that's certainly something to start off with is that how can these people help? You know, with one of my properties in Prince Edward County, uh, I had a friend who expressed interest in investing. And I was like, ooh, at the time he owned a contracting business. I was like, ooh, he's going to be a good partner because he knows stuff that I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so he has been an amazing partner. Um, but you kind of really need to pick and choose what skill set are you lacking that you need help with to get on board as your partner. And once you've got your partners on board, then it's about you speak with a lawyer and get a partnership agreement drawn up, right? So get that agreement drawn up that talks about what happens if somebody wants to sell? What happens if somebody dies? You know, this is stuff that people really never think about or Mm. talk about. Mm -hmm. Again, I just talked about being uncomfortable. Like we just got to talk about life the way it is, not the way we want it to be. Absolutely. And death happens. And so if one of my partners dies... I don't want to be in business with their heirs because I picked my partnership based on my friend, yeah. not their family members. Yeah. So I don't want it. So I actually have written into all of my agreements. If you die, we are buying you out. 
simply because I don't want to be in business with your family. Yep. Just you. No, that makes sense. So that's one thing, but something else that, you know, over time I start thinking about and I'm like, you know what? I also don't want to be in business with somebody's spouse. (laughs) What if they're getting divorced? Yeah. And so now I've got this agreement and it's in there that basically says, if there's a spousal claim on this asset, i.e. you are going through a divorce and a spouse wants a portion of it, then you also will be bought out because we don't want to deal with your spouse either. Yeah, It's just clean. Yeah, it's just clean. And I know that that sounds really cutthroat, but man, again, you're picking your partners for a reason. You're not picking their spouses. You're not picking their kids and you're not picking their parents. Yeah. You're picking them. And so that's why this is all about, you've got to protect yourself um, to make sure that you know, you are doing business with the people that you want to do business. So, you know, we write down things in the agreement. How often are you going to use the property? Is it a strict investment or are people going to use it as well? So for example, with my place in Barbados, because I had, this was sort of my fifth investment property, I thought I do want to be able to use this a little bit. So we did put into the agreement, you know, on such this year, so-and-so uses it the next year, the next partner uses it the following year, the next partner uses it. And we're using it basically during, it would seem like the highest season possible in Barbados, which is over New Year's. Oh, wow. But you know what? (laughs) Yes, we're giving up that revenue, but it's also so cool to be able to go down there with your friends for New Year's Eve and be like, yeah, just come to my house in Barbados for New Year's. Like, And now we've done it a few times. I know the best way to do it. It's like, we just make dinner at home, hang out by the pool. We sit outside and then we walk five minutes to the beach. We put out a blanket and the most spectacular fireworks go off because that's what they do on the beach in Barbados. So, you know, it's really cool to be able to do something like that. But yes, it's in the agreement that, you know, you get to use the house a certain amount of time. Yeah. I love that. But I mean, that's just kind of being pragmatic and having the foresight to acknowledge what those needs are and to have that upfront conversation, which might be uncomfortable. Like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, we got to think about what happens if you die. Wait a minute, we got to think about how, like, is what's a fair allocation of usage mm-hmm. and how does that impact revenue streams? Mm-hmm. You know, like, so mm-hmm. I, and I think that's the thing when you're doing investment and doing investment with partners and friends, the clarity. Yes. Of that, I mean, even in relationships, right? Yeah, like of I, 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 um, with family law lawyers, it's like talk about what you're bringing to the table, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that that's really sound advice and exit agreements. Mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. happens if you don't want to be in this anymore? Yeah, absolutely. But I think also people what they don't understand about working with friends or family members is you don't actually need to share your finances with each with each other. So, you know, for people listening who are like, oh my God, I don't want to share my finances. It's like, don't worry about it. You don't have to. Everybody sends separate emails to that mortgage broker. The mortgage broker will have all the information that's never shared with each other. Yes. So we don't know each other's finances. We just know as a collective, this is how much of a mortgage we can pass for. And then how do you, but now, and that's a really important piece, right? Like that even as realtors, when you're looking to buy a home, you send your information to your mortgage broker. Like we don't need to get into your financial business. We need to know, can you afford this? And can you afford the payments? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why you work with a professional um, that is an accountant or a mortgage person. Um, How do you verify like financial creditworthiness? In do you know what I mean? Like without knowing partners? Yeah, with your partners. You know what? I guess I don't. I just rely on the mortgage broker or the bank to do their, their work. And I, 
I end up getting feedback based on how much of a mortgage they can get. Right. Right. So that sort of tells you what you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Based on what the bank gives you as feedback, you're like, okay, I know I can do X by myself. So it needs to go up yeah. with other partners. And if it's not going up, yeah. I'm like, oh, they're a detriment. Yeah. How does that work? Yeah. So and- you, you do get that kind of feedback that way. But I don't have a way of checking people out beforehand. Yeah. But I guess I meant on your personal, like when you, like you're like, okay, this position will be a good fit. They have these assets that might be helpful. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a part of funneling down, like yes. we're, good, we're a good fit or we're not yes, a good fit. For sure. Like you, sometimes you can, I guess, you know, I guess you hope, you know, you know, who of your friends actually has money. You know that some people don't have money, but some people also don't say because, you know, discussing money and finances is such a poo-poo topic. Well, that's the thing. People don't talk about it. So, yeah, you have to kind of figure that out. And I, you know, it's really interesting to me about the finances because there's some communities out there that talk about money and there's other communities that don't. You know, there's some people that are just completely in the dark. And so it's interesting with a lot of my friends now, a lot of us are real estate investors, I don't even know whether that's because of me or otherwise. I'm not sure, but <laughs> that you were the change. <laughs> yeah. But somehow like with a lot of my close friends, we're all real estate investors. So we're all talking, okay, how much are you going to charge for rent? Or yeah. someone's got a short term rental. How much are you going to charge yeah. per night? So we're all talking and comparing notes because we can't get better if we don't share information with each other. Yeah. And it is about sharing information. So I think we have to get out of that world where discussing finances is so personal that people don't do it. And I mean, it's funny, even within my family, as mortgage rates have been increasing, I've thought, I really don't know anything about people's financial situations. And it's, I'm not trying to know to judge. I'm more trying to know to understand what people are dealing with. Yeah. And if we go back to that humanity piece, right? So I sort of put it out with some of my family members. How many of you are on variable mortgages? You know, just to get back, like, what are you feeling right now? How, how are you doing? Mm. Like, how are you really doing? Not, Hey, how are you? You know? And so that was actually just really interesting. Just putting it out to, to family members. Like, you know, and some, some people were like, yeah, I have a variable. It's brutal. I know some people know I don't, but anyways, it was just interesting to hear, you know, what are people's experiences? What, what's their hardship? What are they dealing with? I think that's a really good point. Like, talking about things educates you. It's not about a judgment piece, mm-hmm. but it's also, oh, wait a minute. I didn't think I could do that. Like, mm-hmm. wow, you're doing that. I should try and consider that mm-hmm. as an option. And to see that there is, it's like when we're comparing food. Mm-hmm. Oh, what did you like about that? And and it's important. Like I know, like even for myself doing investment and talking to people, I'm like, you got to run the numbers. Like you got to just make sure you did. And it's not a judgment thing. It's like, this is a practical thing. Yeah, like if these totally. numbers don't make sense, you can't do it. Yeah. Or if these numbers don't make sense, you can't up, upgrade your home. Yeah. Right. Like exactly. How long can you hold something for? And it's having these tough conversations as mm-hmm. opposed to, uh, just close my eyes and hope it works out. I'm like, no, 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 that's not how it works. Yeah, totally. It's business. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So I just think, you know, we have to talk about money. I mean, if we look at our Canadian education system, we don't talk about money enough, right? If we look at our high school education system, you know, we're not teaching kids about credit card debt. We're not teaching them about mortgages. We're not teaching them about loans. And, you know, out of everything that they're learning at school, they need to learn about those things. Because it's real, it's, life. it's real life, it's practical, and you're going to need to use it in your life sometime. You yeah. might not use everything you learned from high school, but that is something that's 
you know, very practical that it would be great if we would smarten up and get that into, you know, our education system. Cause, and also kids need to know, they need to know where their money's coming from. You know, there was this case recently where there was some mom on TikTok and I, she might've been American. I don't remember her child had come to her who was 15 to say, I'd like to get a part-time job like my other friends. And that mom came back and said, no, 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 you don't need to work. You've got the rest of your life to work. And I was like, you know what, mom, you're not doing a good job because I can tell you that, you know, when I had corporate jobs in my twenties, the people who did not do well in in the corporate world were all the people that never had to work as teenagers. And I see it all around with a lot of my friends who have kids, they feel like, oh, I have enough money. My kid doesn't need to work. And I'm like, no, they need to work because they need to learn. They need to learn what is it that they like? What is it that they don't like? And they need to learn the value of a dollar. And it can't just be about their parents coughing up, you know, cash to buy them stuff. They need to know this stuff costs money. Like, I mean, I, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. Like I remember, you know, this will date me from age perspective, but you know, my mom was shopping for us at Byway. Oh you yeah. Know? <laughs> I know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if, you know, people out there even know what the hell that is, but it's like a, a Zellers or a whatever, you know, but like, I just remember as a, as a little girl, I wanted Jordache and Sergio Valente jeans. Yep. And my mom wasn't having it. Like we could yeah. not afford that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah, like yeah. we're going to Byway to buy stuff. Yeah. You know, like that was it. And so I remember starting to work when I was like 15 you know, I had various jobs, you know, I started off working in a car dealership as a greeter. Um, so, you know, customers would walk in, I'd find out what kind of car they wanted. And then I would, you know, look on the sales list to see which salesperson was the next one up and bring that, you know, little piece of paper to that salesperson to say, okay, this is so-and-so they were looking for this kind of car. Here you go. Yeah. Um, but that was like one of my first jobs, which ironically enough was in sales really. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. Started my sales career. Yeah. Um, but then I had some other really cool jobs. Uh, I, well, first I was a waitress. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Uh, but I worked at Canada's Wonderland and I was a character and, and, uh, an escort oh, at yeah. Canada's Wonderland. So I would get dressed up as like Fred, Barney and the Smurfs. And then I would also work as the escort, which was the person that walks around with the characters to make sure that kids don't beat them up. Um, But, you know, that was such a great job as a teenager to have because we were 16, we were 17, we were were living in Hanna-Barbera land. I don't even think it's called that now. But they gave us like this little apartment at the back of uh, some store. And it was basically all of us hanging out in white jumpsuits because that's what you had to wear to wear in the costume. <laughs> yeah. And it was just, you'd work for half an hour and then you'd be on break for an hour. It's hot in there. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and if it was over 30 degrees, we'd only have to be in there for 20 minutes. Yeah. But you got to know everybody in that group so well, because every single day we were there from like 10 in the morning till seven at night. And so that was such a great experience. Yes, I was making money, but I was making friends and you're having new experiences, right? And then I became a waitress. Well, first I start off as a hostess. I was at Ginsburg and Wong. And when I became, when I turned 18, I was allowed to serve alcohol. So I rallied to, you need to promote me. I want to be a waitress. So I did that for a couple of years. And I feel like everybody needs to go out and be a waiter or a waitress. This yes, is like service. a, yeah, this is like one of those jobs that I feel like everybody needs to do it because you've got to appreciate how hard it is to juggle everything, but you've got to appreciate working hard. 
Because wait staff work hard. They are running all around and trying to remember all the different things that people say they want and need. And anyways, I just think it's such a great life experience for people to teach you about work and work ethic that I feel like go work in a restaurant. This is the best training ground that everybody could get. Yeah, it is so on point. And because it is one of the things that I've often thought about successful people, what makes you successful? What are those experiences that lead you that way? Mm -hmm. And the common answer has been get as much experience working in different fields, different sectors, and just work, 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 Mm -hmm. because it exposes you to what you like, what you don't like, exactly. how the world works, how people are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really appreciate that. And I love the fact that you told me that you work at Canada's Wonderland because I also worked at oh, Canada's Wonderland. Get it. What'd you I do? <laughs> so when people would come to Canada's Wonderland, you would take a photo and yeah. it'd be the keychain photos. Oh, yeah. So it was really fun. And hanging, you know, when you would go and get your breaks, getting funnel cake and, yeah. and, and meeting all the characters yeah. um, as an usher or whatever, like, I got to meet people. So that's why I'm like, oh, I can, you guys look like you had fun. (laughs) (laughs) We did. It was such a fun thing to be a part of. And it's interesting now on Facebook because a couple of us are still friends on Facebook. So it's interesting to see, it's like, okay, we're all, we've all grown up together, you know, and just to see where people are at. And I mean, I know that there's lots of people that hate social media out there, but you know, one of the things I think is super cool is being able to stay connected to people you were in public school with or high school with. Like, it's like, you can't replace knowing somebody for like 30, 40 years. Like that's huge. Right. It's great that you've got lots of new friends, but you know, that experience of having old friends, I think is really cool. No, absolutely. And you learn so much from it. And you're like, Oh, that experience that we shared, how was that formative? Mm -hmm. Like to where we, where it led to us, you know, like Mm -hmm. in sales, you know, how that landed you there and the experience of, okay. I love that. I I really appreciate that. um, Your sharing of that because it's such humble, real beginnings. It's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's not glamour. It's just experience. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And I would also add to that, that, you know, for kids who are in high school and university, it's all those extracurricular activities as well, too do, um, help round and shape you. You know, I remember in, you know, high school, I was like an advertising manager for, (laughs) you know, a, a book that we had. And then I also, I ran the high school fashion show. Yeah. And so, you know, and you're looking for sponsors for the fashion show. And then I remember I went to university. I did a BCom uh, in management policy and finance at McGill. And so I was like an ad manager there and we're looking for advertising. And then I remember, you know, I got my BCom and I was like, okay, I'm going to go work in finance. And so I get a job working at Burns Fry. That also dates me for people out there. Um, and working for a couple of brokers as a sales assistant. And I was trying to get into working in investment banking and I was like, I couldn't do it. Every time I'd, you know, try to get my foot in the door for some reason, something wouldn't work out. And I remember reading the Financial Post newspaper um, and seeing, they were talking about the Toronto International Film Festival Mm -hmm. and how they went about looking for corporate sponsors. And I thought, whoa, that's kind of cool. I didn't realize that people could get paid to do that as a job. And, you know, all the bells go off in my head going, wait a second, this is the kind of stuff I did in my extracurricular activities at university and high school. I'm going to track those people down and see if I can get a job. Yeah. So I was persistent tracking people down and then eventually I get an interview and they need to hire people. They needed to hire a development assistant. So, you know, bottom, bottom rung working in the sponsorship department for TIFF and I got the job. 
And so I did that full time for four years uh, and worked my way up within that department. And so it was like, hey, this is kind of really cool, you know. And so I think it's also you got to get out there and try stuff because you just never know. And you also don't need to be so stuck in the mud that you think, okay, I've got to be with this company forever. Yeah. You know, like my mom, I think a lot of people's parents, you know, my mom worked in the same, she worked at a bank for like over 30 years and that was just not going to be me. I'm always going to be like, okay, what interests me now? If I'm not getting promoted or I'm not doing something different, I get bored. We're so similar that way. I think that's why we like, (laughs) you know, have such great conversations. Yeah. Like I just, you get bored and you're like, okay, what am I doing next? Yeah. You know, how am I learning more? And so eventually, you know, left TIFF, but eventually started working for Chorus Entertainment in advertising sales for the W Network. And I did that for like 10 years. And that was great because it was always different. You're always working with different advertisers and you're always trying to come up with new and different ideas and you're pitching new ideas all the time about how you can do stuff with an advertiser. So that really helped shape me. And during that time, I started buying real estate and owning real estate. And then eventually what I realized is that, you know, they keep laying sales staff off here. I'm going to get laid off eventually. I better figure out what I'm going to do next with my life because it's not this. Right. And I knew that from working in TV ad sales, I could go into digital ad sales, but I was like, that doesn't excite me. I don't care about it. Yeah. What else do I like doing? You know, and sometimes you try things and you figure out, okay, maybe this doesn't work. And then I sort of went back to real estate and I thought, you know what? I've been doing this on the side the whole time. Let me work and get my real estate license. And so I went out, I started working on getting my real estate license on the side and then voila, I get laid off. And I was like, okay, this is like, it's almost like I had it planned out. Literally lost my job on Wednesday, Friday, signed my contract with Bosley Real Estate. And I've been doing this for 11 years now and I've kind of really never looked back. But I think for a lot of people, it's about, you just got to read the signs out there about what's going on in your world and your life and society and the universe to figure out where should you be? What makes your heart happy? What do you like doing? Um, you know, what, what makes you excited? And so for me, continuing with real estate, I like that I, the fact that I can put my fingers in all these different things. Right. Right. So I like that I can be an investor. I like that I can run an association in Prince Edward County for other people like myself. I like that I can go speak at council. I've got the, the mayor of Prince Edward County, literally on my phone that I can text Mm -hmm. when I have a question. Like I, I love that kind of stuff, Yeah, you know? So it's great just to be able to just spread your wings and get out there and say, Hey, if this is something that interests me, I'm just going to go do it Yeah, because I can. And I, and I just thank you so much for sharing that because I think a lot of times when people think about what does success look like, it doesn't materialize overnight. Yeah. It's, it's, it's multiple stages. And it's also checking in with yourself about what matters to me, what's going to keep my interest mm-hmm. and how do I build on that? And mm-hmm. so everything that, you know you're always very like pragmatic. You're always like, let's look at the context of this and follow the breadcrumbs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's not just get stuck on that one line. Yeah. Like, let's, let's delve. Let's, let's be curious. Let's, yeah. let's ask a few more questions and see where that leads. And I think that um, curiosity, that inquisitiveness and mm-hmm. openness to kind of really stir things up and have uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. keeps you on your toes, keeps us pushing. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, and I really appreciate that story because I think so many people can learn from that, that in, 
a challenging moment of like being let go, but you're like, yeah, I, I saw that coming. Yeah. It was inevitable. And yeah. I want to do something I care about. Yeah. And I see, you know, when, when we're in meetings together, when we work together, that we all bring passion to the table, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. I, and I love that. Um, and 11 years later, yeah. right. Like you've gone from local to Prince Edward County, yeah. to global. Yeah, totally. Right? And, Absolutely. and it's possible and it's about leveraging yeah. everything, yeah. you know, a little bit. And so I think I appreciate that experience and the sharing of that. And, you know, I, I always appreciate our conversations. Yes, me too. Absolutely. They're great. Uh, I wanted, I wanted to kind of like talk about, I always love talking about quotes, like okay. to wrap up with quotes and yep. everything. And I love this quote, which is so like, insightful right when people show you who they are believe them mm-hmm. by Maya Angelou mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. tell me about that quote yeah you know it's one of those things where I always believe that actions speak louder than words you know and we really do have to listen I'm going to say especially as women um when you're dating um that you know when people when you're dating somebody and that person speaks to you to say hey I don't want to do that or I don't want to take it this further you don't think that that person's going to change. You need to meet that person where they're at, Yeah, you know, versus thinking, oh, I can just change them. They'll change their mind when really, no, they're telling you what they want. So you really need to believe them. And so sometimes too, I think with friendships as well, as well, we need to look and see, okay, if our friends are treating us a certain way, Mm -hmm. you know, again, actions speak louder than words. And it's that when people show you who they are, believe them, you know, it's sometimes I think I'm, you know, reading on Facebook or whatever discussion groups and someone's talking about a cheating spouse, you know, and I think they showed you who they were Yeah, and you need to believe them. You can't think that that's going to change. And maybe I'm just one of those people that thinks, once a cheater, always a cheater. Don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment, no judgment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that again, when people show you who they are, you literally need to believe them because they they might not be able to verbalize who they are, but they're showing you through their actions. And you need to see that that's who they are. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. Like you have shared so much about, you know, the challenges that you've had to overcome and how you prepared for them and how to build a successful portfolio. And it's one step at a time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It is. It's one step at a time. It's sort of like, you know, how does somebody eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Exactly. Right. You can't get caught up and stressed out about, oh my God, I can't do this. It's such a big thing. You just got to start yeah. and you have to start somewhere. Well, thank you, Devel. Thanks for having I really me. I appreciate it. Cool. <laughs> I love our conversation.